0: The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. Week one is here. Week zero impressions or overreactions and quarterback decisions will be made this week, which are most likely to be final. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, August 28th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Ryan McGee will join us in a little bit to talk about Utah and Florida, among other things. He's got a big piece on Billy Napier coming out on ESPN.com later this week. Desmond Howard will be here to talk about impressions from Week Zero and a peek ahead on the quarterback decisions. And, Pete, I'd say the biggest impression I had from Week Zero was a guy that reminded me of Desmond Howard a little bit in USC freshman uh, Zachariah Branch, who – Returned a kickoff for a touchdown, caught a touchdown pass, and just had that juice, had a Dory Jackson to pull up a former Trojan juice, the uh, Desmond Howard, the Rocket Ismail type juice. Now it was against San Jose State. Is it going to look the same when they play the meat of their schedule? We'll see. But that is yet another weapon for Caleb Williams and the Trojans. That was my, that was the one thing that as I think about week zero that stands out above everything else that I saw. You know I guess on the topic of the super Trojan freshman Zachariah Branch at least in his week 0 performance he was best in game and best in game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line helping the world keep promises.
1: Yeah and uh it, it is certainly something that uh that that should stand out above everything cuz it was uh I mean it was an astounding performance there were just flashes there They were like that just doesn't look like it looks like it. I mean you think of the uh st brown's like there's been some skill guys so if you already establish yourself in elite usc skill guy territory um that's uh that's strong now remember when he was very young i think late in his freshman year he committed to lincoln riley at oklahoma and then flipped uh he's from gorman uh the powerhouse in vegas and then and then flipped and the 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 glimpse of the future after Caleb Williams likely goes and on and becomes the number one pick in the NFL draft is that Malachi Nelson, the top quarterback in this incoming class, is already on campus at SC. He enrolled early, and that's the pitch-catch combo that we'll see, uh that we'll see going down the road. The Matt Liner to Dwayne Jarrett, if you will, of 24 and beyond. We found a
0: way, even I think we both missed that against the spread because SC. Still got gashed a couple of times on defense. San Jose State stayed, stayed within the spread. I think we almost put the zero into week zero in our picks. I'm pretty sure we were, we were bad to that. Yeah, it was awful. We
1: yeah, we tell people not to bet for 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 a reason, and uh, the the portal has made the difficult nearly impossible. Um, when you look at. Uh, umass coming out like a juggernaut when you look at uh fi you had some juice uh they really controlled that game until the uh until the very end in uh in 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 rustin and, and and god bless timmy chang i mean that was a performance in, in the people of hawaii they didn't win but like they were locked in their seats now to the to the last drive so i mean some really fun week zero games reese like just you know they they for for what they were if you are a junkie and if you listen to this podcast we assume you are uh it certainly fit the bill.
0: I had moved away from Vanderbilt and Hawaii over to the Louisiana Tech game because I thought, okay, Vanderbilt's got this in hand, kind of keeping up with it and wasn't really paying attention to the to my phone and the score for just a short period of time, it seemed. And then I looked up and it was 35-28. I was like, okay, got to get back to that. And I was I was traveling. So it wasn't, I didn't have a setup where, you know, I could watch all at the same time. And We got back and forth to it. Hawaii acquitted itself well. And obviously, uh, given the desperate times that are being faced by so many on the island, uh, that's a source to, uh, to help a feel-good moment and some of those that have been in short supply recently, for sure. Pete, you've been on the... You know, one more thing about the about the predictions. McAfee didn't McAfee hit it on the head, the week zero show in there saying we are going to get crushed on the internet for for yeah. all these predictions. And we will. Yes. And that's part of the game and it's part of it's part of the fun. So the predictions are one thing, and one of the toughest things to predict is realignment. What's what's the latest that you've got sure. as we sit here early on Monday, knowing that things are fluid and they change at a moment's notice? with the Stanford-Cal, SMU, and ACC liaison.
1: Yes. So I'm going to I'm gonna quickly double down on Pat's point. The only people who acquitted themselves well were the people in Vegas, who continue to set unbelievable lines when you sit there and are watching the four, a, a two-point conversion in the fourth quarter of Louisiana Tech-FIU, and you're just like, man, those guys are good. So give them credit. Uh, they're solid. Realignment, obviously, as you said, Reese, is fluid. Uh, we, we wrote a story on uh, ESPN.com Monday morning that the 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 definitive thing we know is that the ACC will make a decision in the next forty eight hours. The trend lines starting early Monday morning was that additions would happen, but again, these have flip flop percentages. Given to me, have ranged everywhere from ninety percent to sixty five percent. You know, in the past, uh, in the past seventy two hours, there's still a prevailing feeling of an expectation that these three members get added, but there's still some grist to churn through the mill. So, if you flip this podcast on on Wednesday, this may have already happened already. Um, but there's an expectation that this this decision, which they started talking about somewhere around August 7th, I think we first reported it, is now in its fourth week and everybody's ready to uh, to, to make a decision. So the addition would be Stanford, Cal and SMU it would create a pot of between 50 and 60 million dollars annually, which would get put in and then divided up amongst ACC members. Those guys are all going to take significantly reduced shares um, and. Some of that money is going to be divided amongst the 14-15 ACC members. Some of that money is going to get divided into success initiative pools. Some of the fine points of that is what they're going over now. You you know you get X if you win the ACC, X if you make the playoff. If you make the Orange Bowl, is it more than making the Car Care Bowl? Like, like, do you get credit for top 25? Are you credited uh, for games that are watched? Because some of that is a little fait accompli. If you're on ABC, you're going to get more – eyeballs than on the acc network just the way things are going so anyway those are the those are the things they're narrowing down on they are closer after a weekend of conversations and at some point there'll be a president's meeting called and this thing will fall one way or another
0: stanford i believe opens with hawaii on friday night on the road if if memory serves yes and wonder if they will know their conference fate by the time they play Cal has uh, has Auburn on the ninth, week two, uh, also a home game for the sturdy Golden Bears. So whether they'll be the pack four leftovers or on their way to a new conference with everyone else by then, um, I guess we'll see. Before we, Before we bring in Desmond, is there any game, now we'll pick a bunch of them on the Friday podcast, is there any game this week that you feel like is going to have a tendency to get overlooked? with the optimism that comes with everybody for week one, that you really are looking forward to seeing this weekend.
1: So scrolling, I'm scrolling through here. Uh, So I guess one of the games we're probably not going to spend a lot of time on is Boise state Washington. And I feel like if you, if you look at Washington's schedule, they go Tulsa at Michigan state Cal at Arizona. This is probably their most difficult game until, until mid-October um no offense to michigan state cal and arizona but i just feel like this is a good boise team dynamic quarterback strong defense is washington of the class to be considered in that playoff conversation i think they're number 10 in the country that's going to put them on the fringes of the conversation they have to play at usc they host utah they have to go to oregon state they still had to play oregon at home like they are they ready for that late season gauntlet and i think Boise still has some of that uh some of that uh underdog soul in it and so rolling in two touchdowns into Husky Stadium and uh you know seeing with Bush Hamden if they if they channel some of the old Chris Peterson with some maybe some fakes and some misdirections and some different things so I think that game uh 330 on ABC Reese is one that I'm I'm intrigued by because I just want to see if Washington is of the class maybe we hope they are that, that they could be uh, in the thick of the playoff conversation I'm going to throw out the warning
0: shot on game day Saturday morning about that very game, dipping Ooh. into the history books. Ooh. I'm not picking it. I think Washington will win the game. But Boise State, they've beaten Georgia. They've beaten Oregon. They've beaten Florida State. They've beaten Washington on opening day. They beat. There was a period of time where that was no big Virginia deal. Virginia Tech? Beating Didn't the they Huskies. beat Virginia Tech? They did. Oh, they beat Washington the year before the Huskies made the playoff. Uh, They beat a really, you know, a really talented Georgia team and they beat Chip Kelly in his first game. So we'll see if if Boise State has lost a little bit of that uh, underdog edge or whether they're ready to go. I've got another one in the Mm Pac-12 that I think is going to get overlooked that we're going to mention some. Late game on Saturday, Coastal Carolina and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um mm. UCLA waiting to see their quarterback situation. If they go just named play, Garbers Dante.
1: like an hour they ago, they named Garbers.
0: Yep. Okay, just How, named well, like, him like while play. while we started the show. Yep. Okay. Will you think you will see Dante Moore?
1: I do. I do. Okay. Um when I talked to Chip on uh Thursday before we uh before our last game day show, he was like, Look, man, kid's really good, really talented. And one thing Chip does not coach afraid, right? So mm. I think Garbers is the safe pick. He's the veteran pick. He started games sort of in, uh, in, in place of DTR a couple of times over the years. So you gotta be careful with Grayson McCall pissing teal, as he likes to say um, <laughs> on, on the uh, behind center on the other side. But yeah, I'd be surprised if we don't see Dante Moore at some point, whether it's they're up a little bit and they want to throw him in or whether it's just for a series to, to get a taste. Um, you know, they, they, chip said he, he feels really good about all three guys and can put them all in. And uh He's too fun of a toy, I think, to just stash away for a few weeks. One of the reasons that
0: I'm interested to see that game is because with UCLA's um, quarterback quandary or luxury, depending on how you view it, the quintessential Chip Kelly quarterback is probably on the other side, at least in terms of skill set in Grayson McCall. And there was a lot of talk about whether he might transfer and then uh, circumstances ended up keeping him there. And much like uh, we saw from Sam Hartman in week zero, it is highly likely that we're going to see Grayson McCall in a really different type of offensive attack. And this may actually uh, serve to help his stock at some point if he's successful in in performing under under Tim Beck the way he did under Jamie Chadwell in that different style of offense.
1: Yes. I, I mean, you can't have followed college football the last five years and not completely respected everything Grayson McCall's done, accomplished, endured, uh, fantastic player. One other UCLA note, talking to some scouts this week, Reese, J. Michael Sturtivant, the receiver from Cal who transferred there, he's a redshirt sophomore um he had seven touchdowns last year 65 catches for a cal program that wasn't exactly explosive on offense right if you're catching 65 balls at cal you're doing all right there is a lot of buzz about him in Bruin camp that he could really end up going and there's a lot of buzz quite frankly on him in nfl circles so don't be surprised if he's a guy who ends up with uh you know, ends up visiting the house a few times on Saturday and, and, and Garbers finds him uh, deep. But yeah, I would not also not be surprised if that's a game midway through the third quarter and it's a little bit of a grind out there in the Rose Bowl for those guys Saturday night.
0: And joining us now, as he will periodically through this season in the College Game Day podcast, is the great Desmond Howard, Heisman Trophy winner, out of the University of Michigan, 1991, as he said on the College Game Day meeting earlier today. It was a very good year. <laughs> um, Pete, I know that you know, our listeners might not. Um, Desmond's son started his high school football career this past weekend, and I'd asked if if he reminded Desmond of himself. Said he's getting there. But I saw somebody on Saturday night that reminded me of Desmond Howard in his college debut. man. Uh, I would tell you, Zachariah Branch from USC. He looked like you out there, Desmond. Have you had a chance to to get a peek at uh, at his work yet?
2: Yeah, I did. And uh, I was talking to Little Twin about him, and um, he's special. Like, he has, like, burst, um, flat-out speed, great vision. I was, like – I was really – I was really taken aback. And I was talking to a buddy of mine, Ricky. Ricky went to USC because Ricky – so Ricky watched our show Saturday, right? And he was upset that we didn't give USC more love. Like, he was like, he didn't pick them to win the Pac-12 and all this stuff. I'm like, hey, man, listen, I got to see what weapons, you know, uh, Caleb has to work with this year. But, um, man, I tell you what, he got off to a really good start. He has some weapons, and I was really surprised at how, how fast that kid is. Uh, I'm not going to uh... – Pete, I'm not going to brag about any picks
0: because I pretty much last week, with the exception of Rich Rod and Jacksonville State, put the zero into week zero. But <laughs> I, I do want the record to reflect that I did ask all of you guys if you were aware that USC wasn't playing in the Big Ten this year, that they are still in the Pac-12 when none of you picked USC. I've got USC right. going to the
1: playoff. Yeah. I, so. I do too. If you remember from our, our PAC 12 podcast and, uh, I would be a little bit concerned about that Trojan defense. That was not what I wanted to see from a whole new front seven. You bring in Mason Cobb from Oklahoma state. Tackett Curtis makes a strong debut, but there just needs to be some push Reese. There needs to be some push from the, from the front. And it just, there was some flashes from bear Alexander, but Mm -hmm. those would need to be more consistent. And, uh, Yeah, it was interesting reading some of the coverage out West uh, about that game. It was almost like they lost, you know, because the defense was was the same old story. Yeah. What would you think of the D, Desmond?
2: I thought the defense, you know, we expected them to take a a step up. And for the first game, I'm going to give them a pass. You know, I think they're still trying to get their footing underneath them, even though it wasn't the stiffest of competition who they went up against. But – I think that they're going to get better, but I wasn't impressed. And that was the group that we really wanted to focus on, right? We knew Caleb was going to be Caleb. He's a an incredible talent, so we knew he was going to go out there and play the way that he's always played. But we knew that the defense was the question mark. And I just didn't see, like, a big um, – I guess a big jump from last season to last Saturday night's game. Hopefully, they'll get the kinks out and they'll look better, but still – Still not impressed with this, that defense. And that's one of the reasons why I did not pick them to win the Pac-12.
0: You know, there were plenty of reasons to question them for sure. But I thought a couple of interesting things were brought up as I was looking through. I have such a hard time calling Twitter X now. You got, I mean, because it's just a letter, but looking through social media, looking through X. Well, I saw it. I I want to give credit where credit is due. And they broke down. I'm not sure who did it, so I guess I'm not giving full credit. But there were some plays broken down. Most notably, Siobhan Cordero scrambled on a third and 22 or something and got like 30 yards. And the question that was asked, why take this type of chance? Now, they did have a spy on him, and the spy probably didn't do his job as effectively as he needed to. But it was entirely too exotic in the eyes of of this one observer saying, just let the front eat get off the field, and get the ball back to Caleb Williams. So that might be something that as we go forward in game day, guys, that watching from Alex Grinch this year, sometimes um, defensive mad scientists get a little too cute you know, for themselves. Sometimes you just let your guys go, and, and they probably have enough talent with all of those transfers. And Mason Cobb was very active, I, I thought, on Saturday night, the transfer from Oklahoma State. They probably have enough guys up front that they don't at least against a, an opponent like that to let them get settled to play it a little play it straight, especially on a third and long right there and not put themselves in harm's way.
1: I feel like Reese we have five games to tinker, all right? Like people are, have already oh, fired yeah, Alex sure. Grinch on 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 X or Twitter. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go there yet. I think he's a good coach. I think you have Nevada, you have Stanford, you have at Arizona State at Colorado. Arizona at home, they should be 14 plus point favorites in all those games. But at some point, I think we need to see strides from the defense because things get real when you go to Notre Dame on October 14th. If there's one thing Notre Dame showed it could do Saturday, it is line up and blow you off the ball and then line up again and blow you off the ball and line up again. And they would delight nothing more than to do that up and down the field in South Bend on October 14th. So that that becomes when the rubber really meets the road for this USC defense. But I I'm not going to panic yet. I feel like they've got some time to to work some kinks out. Des what did you think? No, I agree.
2: I agree. Like I said, I think the defense um they, they 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 need to get better. And I think now as a coordinator you want to have film to show guys where they're making their mistakes where they're even though it's a win it's a w we get that we need to play to a standard and I think that's where he's trying to get them to let's play at this standard so now we have the w but these are areas where we can get better because the competition is going to get better and we're going to go against better receivers better um offensive line and things of that nature so I think that um when you look at USC that's That's what they're looking at defensively. Notre Dame, I said on the show that I thought that they needed an identity and that their identity was going to come up front with their offensive line. I talked about Joe Ault. Joe Mm -hmm. Ault, the left tackle, is going to be probably the first tackle off the board in the 2024 NFL Draft. And Joe Ault said, we want to win the Joe Moore Award, which is given to the best offensive line in the country. They understand you're not going to do that against, you know, Navy. You're going to do that against um, Ohio State week five. So when Notre Dame plays host to Ohio State in South Bend um, the week five, I think that's when you start to get the type of attention that you're looking for and the type of recognition that you're looking for to um, to be mentioned in that Joe Moore Award conversation.
0: Well, that was the only exception I was going to take because let the record reflect that Notre Dame's offensive front did that to Clemson last year. And Clemson had a couple of guys taken in the draft in the early rounds of the NFL draft in that defensive front. And they're always good up front. But I would say that what Notre Dame showed is that they can push Navy around. And Navy looked ungood. But, I, I, Desmond, I think you're right on it in this respect that we're going to know when they play Ohio State. We're going to know when if Sam Hartman can push the ball down the field against tighter coverage and uh, better defensive backs. That's when we're going to find out if that's true. And just, uh, Desmond, you won't have to wait all the way to week five. I believe it's week four that uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame play. Either way, okay. when they get there, that's when we're going to know a little bit more about whether Notre Dame is just a really good team, which they are, or if they're a playoff contending team, which they might be.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Can't wait.
1: Well, here's what, if we're going to shift from, uh, from, from one rival to the other, uh, the two marquee uh, teams that played on, on week zero, I think, Week 0 was a little reminder of just how good Sam Hartman is, Reese, right? Like, I mean, he's the all-time leading passer in the history of the ACC. So he's obviously very good. Um, And he played in a bit of an unconventional offense, which I think uh, niched him a little bit. But it it was funny. On the way down to the show, I stopped at the UConn football offices and spent some time with the coaching staffs there. It was with the offensive staff as they were watching defensive clips of NC State. So there's a bunch of Sam Hartman throws from the last few years sitting there on film. And it was a little bit of a reminder to me, Uh, That was Thursday afternoon of like, man, this guy can really spin it. And the question for Notre Dame, I think I answered a little bit was, is is he going to have guys to throw it to? Notre Dame has been deficient at the receiver position. Now, they've been excellent at tight end. They've been deficient at the receiver position for at least the last two seasons. So you see Jaden Greathouse come in, and all of a sudden he's got a couple touchdowns. And, uh, you know, is, is the freshman they thought he'd be? and you got you you got enough of a lead where you got a chance that I didn't think Notre Dame was going to pass 6 times on the opening drive right it's navy games going to be short. new clock rules and they gave the ability to push ahead and and get everything they wanted out of that offense and someone pointed out to me last night from Notre Dame no 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 pre-snap issues no false starts no issues getting the play and no calling a timeout before like it was smooth it was it was for new coordinator new quarterback coach new quarterback Everything couldn't have gone better. So props to Jared Parker. He had that group ready. Props to Gino Gauduoli, the quarterback coach, who's got some experience as an OC. That looked like a smooth-running operation. Now they'll be, you know, it'll look a little different when you got JTT and you got Jack Sawyer coming off the edge uh, from 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 the boys in Scarlet and Gray in a few weeks. But boy, you couldn't have, uh, with all the variables Notre Dame faced, you couldn't have asked for a more seamless debut. The reason I the reason I call
2: it um week five is because I you know we got week zero, but I know it's their oh, fifth okay. game. Oh, okay, all right, all right. It's their, I, it's their, I know it's the fifth game on the schedule. And the reason I know this RD is because I was surprised that they play Ohio State so late into September mm-hmm. when Ohio State had to play them last year, the first game of the season yeah. in Columbus. So I was looking, I like, why? Anyway, so yeah, I know I knew it was their fifth game. I was like, okay, by that time, Ryan Day will have this quarterback situation, all figured figure it out, and they'll be, you know, full steam ahead. Uh, well, I want to go there for a second
0: too, Desmond, but I am going to offer this to Pete, and I want to say that I like Sam Hartman. I think Sam Hartman's a really good player. But, De- uh, Pete, you mentioned that they had some throws queued up against North Carolina State from when uh, Sam was at Wake Forest, who Notre Dame plays in uh, on September 9th. Yep. I don't want to give away my Saturday slate, but were any of those throws any of the six interceptions that Sam Hartman has thrown the last two times he's faced NC State?
1: Well, it was third I'm down. Is, I'm just asking. It was third, it was I, third I like... down. It was third down looks, right? So <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just yeah, saying they, they did. No, they they he, he I know he threw three last year. Um, he's thrown
0: six it, the last two times he's seen the Wolfpack, okay. which, yeah. you know, look, no. you guys have your numbers sometimes. Balls, bounce, yeah. funny. Yeah. I get it. Well, I still and think it's, he's it's a three-three-five
1: odd good. looks, odd stacks, different <laughs> blitzes. So, no, I, I think that game in Raleigh, you know, is a quintessential trap game, right? Like, I feel like NC State Thursday against UConn is going to go to the rent and win by one, right? Like, I think that's going to be a slog of a game, yeah. Yeah. and it's not going to be pretty, and then everyone's going to think Notre Dame is going to go in and roll them like they did Navy, and that'll be the biggest game in Raleigh in 10 years. And the crowd will be fired up. And, you know, we'll see if the, the Robert and I magic comes on that side of the ball for the pack. But uh, Tony Gibson's done this for a while. You want to hear a Tony Gibson fun fact, guys? It's a good game day fun fact. Yeah, yeah sure. Tony Gibson, when he was the a, an assistant at West Virginia, I'm not sure if he was the DC at the time, went to Pittsburgh on a recruiting trip and offered a scholarship to a young kicker from the Pittsburgh area. You know who it was? Well, I would imagine it's Pat McAfee. It was our friend Pat McAfee. So Whenever I think of Tony Gibson, and, and I've seen Pat in interviews really give Tony credit. It wasn't like Pat had offers from Bama and Notre Dame and whatever. Like it was kind of like that was his lifelines. So he's, I know Pat's deeply appreciative, but I think of that like what a, well, you know, something that happens 15 years ago changed a lot of history. So it's pretty funny. Well,
0: if West Virginia can play well this week against Penn State, I think there's an opportunity for College Game Day to go there for the backyard brawl. And uh maybe maybe we can break out a sound bite from the North Carolina State defensive coordinator who is responsible for launching McAfee's career at West Virginia.
1: Maybe Desel sing Country Roads with uh Pat on the desk.
0: <laughs> have you ever have either of you ever seen what we did when we went there for game day basketball? And you're gonna think I'm making fun, but it actually sent a chill up my spine. We decided we did this thing for the open. It was uh It was me, Billis, Jay Williams, and Seth Greenberg. And we go out into this very rural area out in a pasture in Morgantown, not far from just kind of walking down this dirt path. And we start very poorly, but trying to respectfully, we weren't making a joke, you know, but we can't sing. We started singing Country Roads to open the show. We're singing it together. And then the idea was then you would go from the shot that we'd taped on Friday afternoon and take the shot in the arena of us walking in. What we didn't anticipate was this near packed arena that morning for college game day basketball. We didn't anticipate that as soon as we started singing the song on tape, which they were seeing on the scoreboard, that they would start singing so that when we took live, they picked it up right on cue and were blaring and blasting it through the arena. And I mean, it was spine tingling and awesome. And I can't imagine what it would be like when you multiply the crowd size. If we could do something like that, if West Virginia can take care of business and at least stay in the game against Penn State, that doesn't guarantee we'll go there, but it would give them a much better chance if they, you know, if they don't get obliterated by Drew Aller and Nicholas Singleton and the fellas on on opening night. Desmond, you brought up quarterbacks. Um, a lot of quarterback decisions are going to be made this week,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. at least for Week One at Alabama, at Ohio State, a couple of other places as well. Those two particularly, what are the chances that the decision made week one
2: is the one that lasts the entire season? That's, a, that's an excellent question. I think that because they're so iffy on who should be the number one quarterback or QB one or the starter, I think that whoever starts the first game is not likely to start the whole season I just don't think that there is a guy when you listen to the coaches talk about the candidates at the quarterback positions for both schools Alabama and Ohio State um there doesn't seem to be like this great vote of confidence where someone has just separated himself from the other player and um and when 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 I hear t- coaches talk like that RD, I just think there isn't a lot of confidence there. And when you get into the thick of your season, there, the quarterback who's starting may be on a shorter lease because the competition is ramped up that much higher. So I don't think the starting quarterback at either school is going to be the one who starts the whole season.
1: Pete, what are you hearing on that? So I think I'm pretty confident, Reese, at this point on Monday that – We'll see both for Ohio State against Indiana. Ryan Day told me that on Friday. Now, they had a scrimmage on Saturday. How much that's changed the matrix of the decision, I don't know quite yet. But I really do feel like we'll see Kyle McCord. We'll see Devin Brown. And they said he wanted to see them both in game action, right? Like, you have to judge these guys ultimately by how they play in games. I don't think Devin Brown's played in the game. If he has, it's just been like a a knee or a snap. Like, I don't think he's seen real snaps. And Kyle McCord it's obviously been limited. So, um, you know, I would have told you the day after uh, they lost to Georgia that I thought McCord would start for Ohio state next year. I think he's been pushed. I th- That's my hunch only because it's sort of been the, the established thought, but credit to Devin Brown for coming in and push him enough and, in, and in, in making it more of a conversation than I think it was, uh, you know, this, uh, this spring, they, you know, two talented guys and they're going to get their shot. Uh, as for Bama, I was told they're going to narrow things down this week and the snaps in practice are going to begin to indicate the direction they're going. I think we'll see multiple Bama quarterbacks for a week or two until we get it. Remember Nick's thing at mediative at the cake and the cake being baked. I think he's sort of known all along that he wasn't going to have one guy come seize this job. Right. Um, I've been told that Tyler Buckner, who came in, didn't know the offense, because remember, they're not running Tommy Reese's offense. They're running mm-hmm. Nick Saban's offense, now choreographed by Tommy Reese. And yeah. so he's taking some time to catch up, understandably. Um, Jalen Milrow, I would say probably the incumbent favorite still right now. But, you know, obviously we, we all have that Texas A&M game and how he threw in it sort of seared in our memories. So there's Ooh, some, yeah. some some limitations
3: It was not, it was not
1: great. Now, again, we have to, we can't put guys in the box on one bad night, right? Like, you know, they have to learn and grow. And so, you know, the thought is there's some development there, but my hunch early is that it's a duel between those two. And then, you know, does a, does a Dylan Lonergan get a chance? Does a Ty Simpson get a chance? Remember Eli Holstein is there who is a really highly regarded uh, recruit out of Louisiana. So that's the way I see that happening. And, uh, it is a week of the winnowing, Reese. I think they'll be winnowing down their decisions. Dylan Lonergan, from all that I've been told, throws it
0: better than any of them, but he's he's really young. The highest upside by a mile is Jalen Milrow, and I don't have the box in front of me. And he didn't. I thought the fumbles against A were more problematic than his than his passing, um, but he's still learning. But he's got a big arm, little erratic in terms of accuracy at times, but such a threat to extend plays and to make huge ones when he runs. Um, I remember when he was a true freshman, I was doing an event with Saban, and he was talking about him at the time and he goes, he's the fastest guy on the team. All right. Fastest guy on the team, you know, now that might've been a slight exaggeration because that might've been Jamison Williams year. But if he was like, even in the conversation, right, right there, I mean, and he's, he's huge. And yeah. the other thing too, is he stayed, you know, there were, there was some swirling around in the off season that maybe people were trying to poach him and that he might be receptive to that. And beyond that, he's, He's been able to establish a little bit of leadership there. But you, Desmond, you know better than I, you can't really become the leader until you've played successfully a little bit more than he has or anyone else. So I'm not ready to write off Jalen Milrow playing and playing well. You know, I, I told Pete back in the summer that if I had to place a bet, I thought he would start, start the season. Right. But he, the one thing, he can't fumble. If he fumbles, he's not going to play for Nick right. Saban and, and ball security has been a little bit of an issue for him. So we'll see how that
2: goes. Des, it's great to have you on. I hope you're willing to do this again from time to time. Look forward to it. You guys do a tremendous job. I learned so much by listening to you guys on this podcast. I'm honored to be a guest. Anytime you need me, you got me. Just let me know. Sounds good, my
0: friend. Thanks for being with us. Desmond Howard, the great Desmond Howard. See you in
1: Charlotte, Des. We'll all right, see now. him in Charlotte. He'll be ready
0: to go. <laughs> We have been engrossed, Pete, in preparations for Saturday's college game day. Did a week zero show in the studio, but nothing quite matches the feel of getting out on the road for the first time. We'll be in Charlotte from North Carolina, South Carolina. Big quarterback stars in that game. A lot to look forward to. But there's a game in week one that I feel like is getting slightly overlooked early in the week that will be just highly anticipated when it kicks off on Thursday night, and that's Florida and Utah. They played a great game in the Swamp last year. Now the return engagement in front of the mighty Utah student section, Rice Eccles Stadium, Um, and Ryan McGee is joining us now, and Ryan has spent some time and is going to have a piece later on this week on ESPN.com on Florida's second-year coach, Billy Napier. Uh, Ryan, first of all, thanks for being with us, and you will be throughout the season. We look forward to that. From talking to Billy Napier, I mean, they ended the season in just awful fashion in that bowl game, just an abysmal performance against Oregon State. The build has been a little slower. They've had some embarrassments in recruiting with the whole uh, Jaden Rashada thing before he wound up at Arizona State. How would you assess... How Billy feels about where he is in the rebuilding effort and what type of internal pressure there might be on him to show some progress this year. All right. So
3: this is the rub. Billy's good. Like, you know, to to you know, Billy and it drives everybody a little crazy because, and this is kind of what I'm I'm gonna write for later in the week, which is that you know, Billy's kind of boring, right? Billy's got that haircut. I'm pretty sure he cuts it himself. (laughs) Um, Billy's a family man, you know, Billy was a phenomenal quarterback. You guys know my, I'm a, I'm a Furman paladin at heart. My dad worked there for years. Billy should have won two national championships, uh, you know, at the FCS level at Furman as a quarterback, but even his style of play was, was a little, I mean, boring for lack of a better word. And so people in Florida don't want to hear that. They're used to the drama. I mean, they got the, you know, they got a documentary out right now about them being not boring, you know, years ago. And, And they've always had even when the coaches were bad. Ron Zook and Will Muschamp, they at least had like the the you know blood vessels sticking out of their neck. That's not Billy. So Billy's pretty good. You know, Billy's Billy just knows this is going to take a little bit. And the reconstruction plan of his, you know, there have been some certainly some recruiting hiccups, but they've also landed some really good transfers. And they've also landed, you know, he landed a really good recruiting class, considering the fact that he'd had a job for a couple of weeks, you know, before Mm. he signed it, that first class. So I think Billy's good. The problem is, is everyone else around him. Good. I think internally he's okay. I think externally, um, if they start the season the way they ended it, which was awful, then, uh, then yeah, I think the noise is going to get really loud, really quickly.
0: Pete, I know that you have looked at this as a fascinating case study and I'm a big believer in Billy Napier. I think he's an excellent coach and I think he was a top shelf hire for Florida. Um, Ryan's right. Even his best Louisiana teams, they were conservative, even though he's an offensive guy. And he, he branched out a little bit from his early days as the OC at Clemson before, you know, when that got a little sideways and they made some changes and sort of tried to expand the horizons a bit, but he also has a very good vision of what he wants to build. And you've brought up that it's a really interesting concept given the landscape in college football. Now of people wanting it done yesterday, not, not, 2 years from now.
1: Yes, so we'll start with where Ryan ended on, you know, is does does his seat heat up if they're if they're poor again. Um and again, I believe they were 6 and 7 last year, so they weren't like abysmal. Now they played abysmally down the stretch, but they weren't completely abysmal. He'd be owed just a hair under 32 million dollars if they were going to fire him after this season. Now, to contrast that when they fired Dan Mullen I believe it's only somewhere in the 1012 neighborhood, right? Again, only, right? May I only get a retirement uh, you know, parachute of that uh of the thing. But that's a $20 million difference, essentially, which is it's, I don't care where you are, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're a billionaire, $20 million is a lot of cheese. So that contract was designed um and guaranteed for as long as it was um to give Billy Napier time to build what he built, because the program he built was vanilla. It was the Alabama program, essentially like early Alabama program before the diamondism came into the offense when, when Lane and others got there. And they they had huge offensive lines, strong run game, veteran quarterback, and just basically he built a mousetrap where they could just mouth people over. Now, Will... The paradigms of modern football and the pressures of modern football allow Billy Napier to do that. I looked yesterday um at one of the recruiting rankings, they have the number three recruiting class for 2024. If you are going to win in the SEC, you need to stack multiple top five recruiting classes. So even after the whole Rashada debacle um, you know, through through some, you know, shrouded that program and its recruiting operation a little bit, they have figured out how to recruit at the highest level in college football. But As we know, they just don't roll in and start scoring touchdowns and registering TFLs. It takes time. And Billy Napier is a devout follower of his process. His process has proven to work at a smaller level. The variable here that will be interesting is time, especially when you peek at the 2024 schedule, which is essentially like the most difficult schedule that I can remember a school putting itself through, certainly like a you know, a national championship winning type school that Florida is. I believe they have three Power Five non conference games Florida State, Miami, and UCF. So you can be a lot better and you can have a lot better talent, but you're all of a sudden now playing 11 Power Five games? That's not easy. So it's, it's, there's a lot, of, there's a lot happening there. DJ Lagway, who's one of the top high school quarterbacks in the country, is on his way there after the season. There's, there's a lot of intrigue. And I hope for Billy Napier's sake, who's an excellent coach, that they they get time to allow him to build what he wants to build.
3: And he's also uh, been uh, yeah.
0: he's been named he's been named recruiter of the year a couple of times, which is mm-hmm. why the the Rashada thing. But it's a the it, it, that was an NIL situation. But he's proven himself at multiple stops to be a really good recruiter. So I I don't worry about that. I do worry about style of play long term he's going to win but at some point you wonder if he's like okay i'm tired of the old school gator crowd saying okay you won but you didn't you didn't score 49 you you know you only scored 31 i want to score 49 and win and because that's that's sort of been the dna of Florida football since Steve Spurrier got there.
3: Yeah and and I think basically what we're saying here is you can't lose to Vanderbilt again. Right. I mean, that's kind of uh, right. You just, you can't, you have to show signs of moving in the right direction. You mentioned Spurrier. Steve Spurrier said just last week, he was asked point blank. All right. What's a successful year for Florida. And, and the HBC said, all right, how about a winning season? He said, give me seven wins in a bowl game. You give me seven wins in a bowl game. He goes, I think everyone needs to recognize that as moving in the right direction. And that's, that's just, that's one win more than last year. Right. And so it's the idea of signs that you're moving in the right direction. The reality is – I mean, Pete's right. The schedule's awful. I mean, when I looked at it, it, it's got to be top five most difficult, if not the most difficult. And that's Mm -hmm. why that Utah game – I mean, the Urban Meyer Bowl is so crucial. On Thursday, (laughs) you have to get off to a good start, right? And the thing is, so they won that game last year with three points. Um, You know, they beat USF by three points. They lost to Kentucky, which Kentucky – you rush the field because it felt like that big of a deal on the road. You know they should have beaten Tennessee early. You know there's a lot of games that they could have easily rolled into uh, the the middle of October. What six and o seven and o and a top ten football team. And so you got to show signs that you're that team from the first half of the year uh, versus the team that that tripped their way through. You know Vandy, Florida State, bowl game, everything. Utah is a
0: lot tougher place to play than a lot of SEC programs will realize. That said, especially unless I'm going to ask Pete, because I want to know how much Cam Rising has worked in camp and how available or how close to 100% if he's able to play and everything on Thursday night. I'm I'm almost leaning. I don't know what the line is in that game when we make our picks later in the week. I'm leaning Florida a little bit. They beat them last year. I understand it was in the swamp and it was early and and hot weather and all of that stuff. I'm not going to be terribly surprised if if Rising certainly if Rising is not able to go, but if he is not a hundred percent, then I think the Gators might have a chance to to go in there and sneak out with a win. Pete, what are you hearing on Rising? Have you heard anything yet?
1: So rising has returned to practice and he's, he's listed as QB one, but I was told not to read too much into that because they tend to not take guys off if they're uh, if if they're not injured. So I really feel like that he's being ramped up into things. Uh, Kyle Whittingham has kind of said, We're We're not going to take any risks here. We're not going to play him if he's mm-hmm. not 100 percent." I, I feel like it is close, and and we'll get some we'll get some better context in the next. Uh, in the next 72 uh or so hours. Uh, but I yeah, I there's a lot of ambiguity there, even you know, in that program right now of whether or not we're we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see rising. And I do think it could go uh it could go either way. Um I'm just gonna double back a point. It's it's an interesting moment. I, I would think Florida is an underdog in at least six games this year, just glancing at their schedule. Like again, that obviously results would change what they are, but like if you look at their schedule right now it's probably six. Utah is such a a huge game, as you both have noted. Utah is essentially what Florida wants to become. They want to become a physical line of scrimmage program that controls the ball and wins that way. They do not want to become Tennessee that beats you 60-something to whatever. So it's an interesting test because they're staring at what they hope to be a future version of themselves. They're playing them on the road in a tough place to play in some altitude. It's a very tall task to, uh, to, to open the air. And obviously, you know, other than the Sunday night game, probably the biggest spotlight, solo spotlight of week one.
3: Yeah, and and, and, and by the way, and I, two of my favorite coaches because they were such great players. You know, Winningham, Co- Coach Winningham, and, and also, obviously, as I keep telling everyone, Billy Napier was really good. So, they, they both would make my all-coaches-players team if we were putting that together. All-flag football team. I don't know much about Kyle. Was he a yeah, he looks. He looked exactly the same when he was playing for BYU and in, the, in okay. the early '80s, late '70s that he does now. It's ridiculous. I, I was yeah. sitting in his office a couple of years ago, and I was just laughing because I was like, you know, at any point I feel like he could just get up and just start bending steel, and you know, and that's just because he just looks like you know. And he actually left my interview. Hey man, I hate to cut this short, but I could get in some cross country skiing before dinner if we <laughs> want to wrap this up. And he left. So that's yeah, yeah that's yeah, that, that's how Wait. he rolls.
0: Which brings us for years. Um, there's the debate of who would win a steel cage match yeah. among college football coaches, and Winningham has always been one of the favorites. I always opted for Ogeron because of the, shall we say, unpredictability that goes <laughs> along with that. Yeah, and the foreign there object. Might be, yeah, yeah, there could be a foreign object definitely bringing in a foreign object. Care, yeah, something. Something could happen. Cristobal, I think, is you know a trained fighter, so he's always one of the guys who could emerge from the steel cage. But I put Whittingham right there. I, yeah. I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't bet against him either on the field. Often, obviously, I just said I might this week. He's a he is an elite coach who doesn't quite get the appreciation. And if uh, if the people in the Big Twelve. Aren't aware of it? They're about to find out about about what Utah is going to bring to that conference. But in the steel cage, Mike stepping into the squared circle, Kyle Whittingham would be a guy. Yeah. Uh, he he might be a favorite. He or he or Cristobal now.
3: Yeah, well, that's what. Well, prior to what's happened, obviously at Northwestern, I always said if you give me, you give me Kyle Whittingham and Pat Fitzgerald. And you can have everyone else because I like our chances and uh, and because both those guys were but but Whittingham was an underrated player. You ask guys that played in that era uh, there at BYU in Utah, and they'll tell you that he was uh, he could lay licks. And like I said, he just he looks like he's just. I mean, he came straight from the gym, like to enter to mm-hmm. talk with me, and then went to the mountains to to ski. And oh, by the way, ran practice in between.
0: Okay, unpredictable here. Talkative and undisciplined is the subtitle of this podcast. Give me quick draft picks. One guy steel cage match. You can only back one guy. Head coach in college football. Who's coming out of it? Everybody's in there for a royal rumble or whatever. Who comes out? McGee, you get first pick.
3: Oh no, my my first pick I've already revealed. You give me Whittingham. I mean, that's Whittingham. Just yeah, and, and I understand he's a little older now. Uh, yeah. but, but, but he also has what we call old man strength. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't question old man. I just loaded my daughter into the dorm and I watched, I watched there a lot of old man strength going on guys carrying beds. I'm pretty sure they, they'd <laughs> never done that before. So <laughs> I, I always, I always, I always, uh, always d- defer to old man strength and Kyle Winningham had young man strength. So I like his chances now. He's a
1: little leaner though. Pete, who have you got? I'll take Luke fickle, man. That guy. Oh, that's uh, a good one, yeah. I, I did an all-access story at Cincinnati a couple of years ago, and he would go to the, you know, he works out every morning at like five thirty, uh, in the in the Cincinnati weight room, and he didn't look a whole lot different than the dudes, you know, getting in the getting in their three-point stance down there. He's an old nose tackle and an old wrestler too. So I think if it did get a little, if you had to get a little crafty, I think old Luke. If anyone is bored at work listening to this or, or watching this on YouTube. Google that's Luke impossible. Fickle. Oh, bored yes. at work, not bored oh, with us. Board yeah, with board us. At work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like after go. they listen to the podcast <laughs> and they want to kill more time at work, Google Luke Fickle high school wrestling highlights on yeah. YouTube. I mean, he he pinned, I believe, every everyone he uh faced his senior year in the first like period. I don't know anything about wrestling, but it's like it's like bam, 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 bam. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to roll with old
0: Luke. Okay, I'm going to go because you guys have taken some good picks. I'm going to go Cristobal. Yeah, That's I, I think he, I think yeah. he has some trained uh, fighting skills yeah. too as well. Ryan, you're doing a piece for Game Day this weekend about the Battle of the Carolinas. You just moved your daughter into South Carolina, but you did not move her into school at Carolina. You moved her into South Carolina or USC. Well, no, it, you, you didn't just, move her the, in there either.
3: All right, so <laughs> move her but into so South you know, Carolina. So you're talking to a guy that I I'm, I'm, I never reveal my age, but all all but about six years of my life I have lived within a half hour of the North Carolina-South Carolina border, 334 miles. Uh, Shelby, Rockingham, Monroe, Wingate, um, uh, Travers Rest, South Carolina, Charlotte, where I've lived for the last 25 years. I've always lived right on the line. So I've lived this, Carolina versus Carolina. And, yes – Chapel Hill has always internationally been known for Carolina in large part because of Dean Smith and some guy named Jordan um, basketball. But the best part about my time living in South Carolina and, and having a daughter there now is the bookstore has all the stuff that just says Carolina. And you can, and you know, and you guys know South Carolina's jerseys that wear Carolina across the chest. And the best part of that is, Watching like my daughter who attends South Carolina as a freshman, buying all the stuff that just says Carolina to wear to her high school in Charlotte because all her friends are going to Chapel Hill and she did it for no reason other than to make them mad. So that's the beauty of it is the, is who's, because originally it was, it was, it was the province of Carolina in the 1600s, founded by, you know, the the British royalty. Then it was split into North and South Carolina because South Carolina had better natural resources, which they love to remind you of, even though it was, you know, 17, 19, or whatever it was. But ever since then, there's been this debate. I, there's, Even my family went to a theme park just south of Charlotte. Reese, you know where it is. It's called carowinds mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And they're, the state line between North and South Carolina literally splits the park in half. And people take pictures, and they have debates over what's the real Carolina. So I this has been my entire life. And so to get to write about that for, for College Game Day is uh, I can't believe I get to do it.
1: Professor McGee. Thank yeah. you. Like, this uh, is like ninth grade history come to life.
3: Yeah. Like South Carolina became a state uh, one year ahead of North Carolina, but the university of North Carolina was founded before the university of South Carolina. And so the, I think the football team at North Carolina started just a couple of years before South Carolina. It's, it's, it's a debate. And, and I'm not even going to get restarted on vinegar based barbecue sauce in North Carolina versus that god awful mustard based stuff they have down in South Carolina.
0: No, they're Here's the thing about that, Ryan. Both are tasty. Yeah. I don't know why people get so upset about that. You can enjoy both. People enjoy they enjoy steak and they enjoy seafood. Yeah. They enjoy pasta and they enjoy fish. Why can't you enjoy all of it? I mean, the vinegar based is good. Uh, so is the mustard based, and so is the thicker, more ketchup. Uh, maybe brown sugar-based as you get farther west. All those things are delightful.
3: Yeah, they are. And then in Alabama, a- I still haven't figured out. I go to Alabama now all the time. I still haven't figured out the white sauce thing, but it's delicious. I don't know what but it is. Don't care. It,
0: it, there's some, yeah, mayonnaise-based, a little spice. This might be blasphemous for someone who grew up in Alabama. I'm not saying it's bad. I don't particularly enjoy it personally, but if people yeah. do, I, I don't choose it. If it's there and I eat some of it, it's not that I hate it and refuse to eat it. I just prefer the others. I prefer, I prefer the, you know, the thicker, sweeter sauce or the mustard based or the vinegar based to the white. But a lot of people love the mayonnaise based at Big Bob Gibson's in Decatur, Alabama, shout out to them. I think they're kind of that's sort of like the epicenter of that. Pete's saying, Pete's saying, we've got, we've got fried clams at Woodman's in Essex up on the North Shore, which is a which is a great place, by the way, if, if you haven't been there. Let's I mean, can you uh, just wear just let, wearing a Boston hat,
1: by the way. I, I uh, so I, I
3: yeah. do not I do not own a UMass hat, but I do um, have but I, I bought I took my family to, to New England for a for, uh, for a summer trip and I bought this hat and I'm wearing it because uh UMass was number one in the preseason bottom ten um, and immediately took care of business and they now have as many wins after one week, week 0, as they had the entirety of last year. So tip of the literal tip of the cap to the Minutemen.
0: And Pete tell tell Ryan why that is and why now after years of wandering in the wilderness that there is a winning culture for UMass football. Tell share with Ryan the most important factor in changing the entire mindset of UMass football. What is that Pete?
1: So, Ryan, I know now 18 months in at ESPN that Reese gets a kickback every time he gets to mention Avon Old Farms, the finest school for, school for boys in the land, um, and he can. And uh, Tayshon, and I don't know the last name, I'm Ty- sorry. Tyson Pumachon. Tyson, I'm sorry. Tyson yeah. Pumachon, I yep. should know that. It even as a little, like, fun alliteration to it. Tyson yep. Pumachon looks like a real dude, like a real dude. Best stat I read about UMass – they scored 41 points at New Mexico State. They did not score 41 points until October last year. And here nope. we are, sitting in a little old August, and the Minutemen are riding high. So God bless college football, and God bless the fact that anyone who wagers on a week zero game and the way these rosters I – mean, you have we have no idea. Like, it's just no, no idea. Nope. I would have thought – I would have, like, put my mortgage on New Mexico State last year based on, like, last mm-hmm. year's results and returning sure. players. Yeah. But Don Brown has taken, like, half Arizona's roster and – Tayshaun Pumachan from Avon Old Farms. and uh, Esperando and
0: Perseverando.
1: Yes, via Clemson, via Georgia Tech. And, uh, yeah, he looked like a real dude.
3: Yeah. Okay. When Jerry, Jerry Kill uh, looked stunned as the rest of America about halfway yeah. through the first quarter, he knew he was going to lose that football game. But, yeah, yeah, tip of the cap to UMass. I'll say this all the time. Been right in the bottom 10 for 10 years. The best part is when a program starts winning football games. UTSA should have gone undefeated greatest thing or Tulane all these programs uh, uh, South Alabama these programs that I watch and cover when they're one and 11 when suddenly they're 11 and one it's the greatest it's it's like I just sent my daughter to college it felt like that when, when my bottom 10 teams move on and start winning games and maybe UMass is uh starting to make the turn. You also, in my
1: absence of the podcast, accused Frank Martin of being in the mob, which I had nothing to do with. I want to be clear. So I think a a logical (laughs) kickback if we're in that mix right now is saying some kind words about the Minutemen (laughs) and (laughs) where he now coaches. Yeah.
0: Pete mockingly, mockingly said, uh, "My." By saying for Avon Old Farms. So I don't know if they'll be sending him any gear. But I will tell you this when Dabo Sweeney was on campus recruiting Tyson, I, I'm sitting, and that was actually on a plane, and I get a text from it said Dabo Sweeney. I'm like, what in the world does he want? And I click on it and it's a picture of Dabo on the grounds at Avon Old Farms. And he said, Man, this place is like Hogwarts. It's unbelievable. He sounds like I'm in a Harry
1: Potter movie.
0: It is a it is a great place. Ask for At Perseverando is the motto, aspire and persevere. And UMass has a little taste of that now with a win. Uh, Earlier in the podcast, Ryan, Pete broke down some of the ACC machinations and it appears that we're going to have an expanded ACC. You and I talked about this when you sat in for Pete on the podcast. Now that, not done, but it appears headed in that direction. What does it mean for the ACC?
3: Well, this is a survival game. I think I said it last week. It's a survival. It's it's looking at the spreadsheet. What do we? It, it, the map doesn't matter. Um, you know, rivalries don't matter right now. What matters is doing what you think you have to do to make sure you're still doing it two or three, five, ten years from now. I'm going. if I live here in Charlotte. We just mentioned it. Uh, I'm going next week to see. I got an invitation. The ACC is going to open their new offices, moving from Greensboro to Charlotte. A lot of people are unhappy about that in Greensboro, but it is what it is. And they're going to raise a flag. They're going to have a flag-raising ceremony, the ACC flag here in Charlotte. I think I'm going to go just – I, I want to know what schools are, like, saluting the flag when we get there, you know, just a week from now. But it's – you know, it's weird. Um, You know, again, I grew up on Tobacco Road. Um, That's really where I, where I was raised. It's going to be super weird, but you have to do what you have to do to keep doing what you're doing. And so I get it. But but, but, but Pete, I said it last week. The, the thing that drove me crazy about the, all of this was when we are told to our face by people that we know and respect, this is all about the ac- academic fit. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about and, – and, and you don't have a place for Cal and Stanford. And so the, the fact that, that they have a home now, it appears, yeah, it's going to be weird, but it's not going to be any weirder than, you know, UCLA playing a volleyball game in Piscataway you know it just it is it is what it is we
1: always want to caution nothing in realignment is done till it's done um but it is as of Monday morning uh late late morning here it is it does appear to be trending that way no call has been made once they kind of get the presence on the phone it's sort of done and that step has not been taken yet so there's fine points to be ironed out momentum but nothing uh nothing solidified that said I will not be surprised if it's Ryan McGee, Condoleezza Rice, and Marshawn Lynch at that flag-raising in Charlotte.
0: (laughs) Saluting it, as always. Ryan, uh, great to have you with us. Look forward to talking with you throughout the season. Look forward to your Carolina versus Carolina piece on college game day Saturday afternoon, or Saturday morning, I should say.
3: I appreciate the invitation to do it. I'll talk to you guys next week.
0: We've covered a lot of ground here on this week one Monday edition of the college game day podcast three times a week will come your way during the season we encourage you to download this podcast wherever it is that you prefer to get your podcast Desmond Howard Ryan McGee and of course the authority the great Pete Thamel thank you all for being here Pete's always here so he's got no choice I don't know why thank him but I am merely Reese Davis we'll see you later this week